welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. A hungry author is someone who is, quite simply, hungry for it. They're willing to do what it takes to achieve their writing dreams. If that resonates, you're in the right place. I'm Ariel. And I'm Liz. We're two book coaches, editors, and writers here to help you get there. We interview experts and chat about all things publishing and writing to educate and build a community of successful writers, whatever that means to you. Welcome. Let's get started. Okay, welcome back, everyone. We are here with our friend Meredith Height Estevez, and we're going to talk about rejection, which is kind of our the last topic in our series on traditional publishing. Rejection is part of the writing life. It's probably our least favorite part, and you might think that this episode would be kind of a downer, but we're going to reframe that for you today, and we're going to make this a great way to start your Monday. So... Meredith, welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me, ladies. I am, I like to think of myself as like an OG Hungry Author listener. Um, I have been listening since episode one, so I'm honored to be here. Oh, yay. We love that so much. And you are a great friend of ours. So we're just excited to have you. Um, Could you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and where you're at with your writing journey? Sure. Well, uh, like Ariel said, my name is Meredith Height Estevez. I came to the writing life in a really roundabout way. I am trained actually as a professional oboist, and that's a classical music. Uh, it's an instrument, a woodwind instrument. And I did all my training, four degrees, including a doctorate in music uh, in oboe. And I always loved writing. My mother was an elementary school librarian, and so writing and reading were always part of my life. And because I believed this lie that you only could do one creative thing if you wanted to do it well, I, I sort of fo- focused in, laser focused on oboe and uh, took cre- creative writing classes in college, but really didn't feel like called to the writing life. And during the pandemic, actually, when all our concerts went away and we were all stuck at home in front of our computers is when I really started writing again. And specifically for me, the the main way that I write and share my work with the world is through my podcast, which is called Artists for Joy. And it is a show that is meant to debunk the tortured artist stereotype. So to help creatives of all disciplines find the joy that they originally felt for their work. And so I started doing that in 2020 and hundred or more episodes later, uh, I'm working now with a publisher, Broadleaf Books, on my first book, which is coming out in spring 2024. And so I'm in that sweet spot right now of I've turned in my manuscript and I have about a month and a half uh, while my editor is getting her red pen out and marking it up. And so (laughs) I'm here to talk about rejection because it's something I know a lot about both in my music career and in my writing life. I think we all relate to that so much. Um, But I just want to say, I love your podcast so much. It is something that I recommend to so many authors. I love to include links to your podcast in my newsletter. And especially I love your like musical meditations. They're just, they're really, really reflective. And it's always a nice way to start my Friday morning. So thanks for that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I I love sharing music with people and the podcast has been a great medium for that. Awesome. Meredith, I would love to know either in your publishing journey or in your musical journey, anything in your creative life, what was perhaps your most painful rejection to date? Wow. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I think 
rejection, everybody handles rejection differently. And every, what I'm noticing, I, I work as a coach for creatives and different art forms handle rejection differently, right? Uh, we have in, in the music world, you know, when there's a very small percentage of people who don't get into Juilliard, for example, I mean, I mean who do get into Juilliard, it's like six, 5.6% or something per acceptance rate. And so like the majority of people don't get in, right? And so you just, you're in good company. You know, you just get practice of like trying out for things. You audition for orchestral jobs and you're behind a screen and you play this beautiful, you know, four minute solo that you get four minutes to impress the judges and they're like, next. And so actors too, some, some disciplines have more practice at just continuing to throw things against the wall and see what sticks. And I, I guess I'm, I'm avoiding the question. Can you tell this? I'm trying to like, I don't want to talk about my greatest rejections, but uh, I think with writing, I'll, I'll focus on writing. I had an agent that I was pitching tell me uh, that she disagreed with my approach to creativity and thought my book was disorganized. Wow. So. Ouch. Yeah. That can hurt. (laughs) (laughs) I think that she was right about my book being disorganized. And that's, I think that's what I want to say here at the front, that rejection sometimes, not every time can teach us, can offer us something. And if we're willing to learn from them. And I say sometimes because uh, sometimes people are rude and sometimes people unsubscribe and, you know, hit unfollow for reasons that you won't ever understand. And it's not worth going down the rabbit hole of trying to understand. Mm -hmm. But other times the rejections can offer you a little nugget of truth, which once you grieve and cry and get over the pain of it, you can put put it to work. And the, after that agent said that to me, I went back and I edited my table of contents and I got clear about the transformation that the reader would go through. And I, I eventually got an agent and a, and a publisher. And so, yeah, that was, that was pretty, I'll never forget those words. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I like this idea of, this idea of sort of like getting your reps in, like you just have more, experience with getting rejection like it almost makes it more I mean obviously no one's like yay I'm going to go get rejected a million times but it does make it feel more like a skill that can be sort of acquired instead of um just like people aren't good at it necessarily just because they have a certain personality trait most people that are like either good at it or you know seem to handle it better they've just experienced it more you Mm. know Definitely. Um, Sometimes I think about this, like when it comes to, um, you know, I have had a number of clients, um, like in my ghostwriting clients, um, sort of like panic at deadline, even when the book is great and they've been loving it the whole way through right at deadline. A lot of times they get really insecure and they panic. And um, I don't, do that. But I don't think it's because like, I was thinking about this a lot the other day, and I don't think it's because I'm any, you know, like better or different or whatever. Um, And some of it might be the fact that like, as much as I adore the book, it will never be mine, right? These are my ghost ghosted clients. So they it's their book. But my point is, I think the reason why is just because I've done it so many times by now. You know, like, I understand, I'm used to being edited, like being edited. It's a little bit different than rejection. But it's kind of basically criticism, like at its core, like being edited is just criticism. And so when you're used to it, it doesn't like have that 
sting anymore. And so, I don't know. I mean, like in that rejection um, that, you know, that person gave you, do you feel like you called on any of those skills you'd learned from your oboe, oboeing? And not that your oboeing days are over, but you know what I mean? Like being like, I mean, I got to imagine Juilliard, like you're getting criticized all the time, right? Or like you're getting. Oh, 100%. Oh yeah. And so much so that it can be hard to know your own voice when you Mm -hmm. hear it because you spend so much time emulating uh, someone else. And I think in, in a way that's why writing is, it's almost easier because like, I can't go and copy Madeline Langle. Like that's plagiarism. Right. And yet, uh, so whatever the words are coming out are going to be in my voice and learning how to distinguish the criticism from the editing out of my voice and what I want to say. A funny story. I was talking to my editor and she was, she was the editor of a really famous author. And I'm, I'm purposely not mentioning their name because I don't want to share this story if I'm not allowed to, but um, it gives me great courage or confidence to know I have an editor and it's the same editor as this author that I really admire. And I told my editor that, and I was like, if it's good enough for this author, it's good enough for me. So bring on the edits. And she's like, well, what you don't know is that that author was, did not take any of my edits. (laughs) She just, she said no to all the edits and went her own direction. And so just know writers that if somebody edits you or criticizes you or rejects you, you get to decide what, whether or not they're, what they're saying is true for you or important enough for you to change, right? There's no perfect thing. There's no there there. Uh, and sure, you need to rid your writing of mistakes and um, things that are inconsistent. Absolutely. In the end, it's a creative practice, which is not nightly, night, not nicely put in a box or in, with a bow on it. It's not a gift somebody can give you. It's something you have to work to cultivate. And so be careful whose feedback and whose rejection you let, you know, in that and, and watch the timing for when you let it in too. Because if you, if you check your email at all hours of the night, waiting for those people to write you back, you know, it, it just has control over you that I don't believe it should. Yeah. That's a really, really great point. And I, I think you're right that, um, sometimes rejections can be a really good thing. Like they can actually tell us, Hey, there is a problem that you need to address. Like I'm thinking of, I applied to speak at a conference and part of the application was to record a little video. And I wasn't feeling great on the day that I recorded that video. To be honest, I didn't put a lot of thought into it. I was exhausted. I had worked all day and I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot about this video thing. Shoot. I need to do that. And I did it really like last minute and honestly, not my best work. You know, I really didn't put my heart into it. I really didn't take the time that I needed and I didn't do a very good job with it. And I got rejected. And I was like, I probably deserved that. Honestly, like I, I really did. (laughs) And I know that for myself and it was a good lesson in some ways to be like, all right, I really can't do that again. Like if I care that much about something like this, I, I need to put my all into it. And sometimes that lesson is painful, but it needs to be learned, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, let the fact that you weren't available to prioritize that video, let that teach you something. Like maybe I shouldn't apply to this. Maybe this isn't the year that I submit to this. And so learning to sense your energy level and your availability for things as a way to guard yourself from undue criticism. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. So, okay. Tell us a little bit about what your process has been like. Um, you're working with Broadleaf now. You said you kind of started during the pandemic. Um, tell us what the process was like trying to find an agent. Did you go through, you know, a lot of possibilities there, uh, and then getting to, to Broadleaf, what was that process like? Sure. So there, the pandemic happened and I got the mic and I started writing the podcast and I, for, for like two years, I just did the podcast weekly, which I shouldn't say just like, it was a lot of work. I write, you know, each episode's like 5,000 word essay, like a, a designed thing that I do. It's not just like a, it's not an interview podcast. It's a solo, um, a solo show. So I was doing that and I, I just can't, tell enough people how valuable the weekly publication of some piece of your writing makes a huge difference. Like Liz was talking about like getting your reps in, like even just sharing your work with the internet. Um, and it can look like Instagram captions, or it doesn't have to be a podcast. Like that is a way to get your reps in because you'll experience like little rejections and you'll learn so much about what you feel and what you really believe. And you'll try out content and find stuff that resonates. So I did that for two years and I got, um, I decided to write my book proposal because I kind of saw, I wanted to put my podcast into, I wanted to put them into a book in some way, shape or form. And so I got a writing coach. I worked with Ann Croker, who's amazing. And she helped me write. I took her course, which is uh, your compelling book proposal, which was an amazing like step-by-step -step guide of, you know, she has a video on like each subhead in the book proposal. So she walked me through it. We did some coaching. She helped me edit it. I wrote my sample chapters and I started pitching. Um, and right around that time, I announced on the podcast, sort of like for fun, like if you know anybody in publishing, you know, I'm writing a book. Um, and what, this listener that I didn't even know um, wrote me an Instagram DM and said, my husband works for the, the Christian imprint of Penguin Random House. And I love, I love your show. And my, I've asked him and he's willing to have a look at your book proposal. That's so amazing. So I was, I freaked out because it wasn't anywhere near ready, but that was the, the impetus I needed to like, go finish it. And so I wanted to strike while the iron was hot. And so of course, and let's be real, I sent it to him and I heard nothing. Okay. So like <laughs> weeks went by and I'm sitting there, like, as soon as I send it, I'm like waiting for him to respond. Weeks went by. I had to, to tap his wife again on the shoulder and be like, so I sent it to him and I didn't hear back. And, um, he wrote back and said, you know, I don't, it's like, I don't have time to read this. I'm sorry. Uh, all the pieces seem to be there. Um, and I don't edit, I don't, um, represent unagented authors anyway. So you should find an agent. Here's a couple names of agents you should reach out to. And he didn't say I could use his name. Um, and so I didn't. Uh, but I think that he helped me find the right people that would work with people like me, which is somebody with a smaller platform uh, and people who are, who are looking to write, to promote books about thing about creativity, which is what I was writing about. And so I pitched those people and heard some no's, heard nothing, heard uh, this book isn't Christian enough. Uh, I heard this, you know, this book is too Christian. You know, I I'm writing to a pretty broad audience in terms of like the, the secular sacred divide. And so um, some folks said that it wasn't right for their, for their uh, list or whatever. So 
I finally found an agent. Uh, Don Pape is my agent and he is an incredible writer centered person who every, every editor, every publisher we talk to, I was always like, you're so lucky to have Don as your agent. And Don, he, he's a really great, he's like an industry veteran. I mean, he's been, he's played every different role in the publishing industry. And in the end, um, I had, I ended up having three uh, agents offer me contracts and two of them said that they wouldn't pitch my book until I had a bigger platform. And they wanted me to have 10,000 followers on Instagram. And so they were talking about waiting like maybe a year before we pitched the book. And I, I was open to that. I mean, I, I, as a new, as a newbie, I was like, okay, well, you know, best. And what I, I liked that Don was, was ready. He's like, I, I feel confident we can find a publisher. And in the meantime, let's build your platform. Like while it's happening all at the same time. And so we pitched the book in October and then I signed a contract with Broadleaf in January. I had, um, another publisher that was interested and asked me to write a second book proposal because they were looking into a two book deal that didn't pan out at all. Uh, so I did, I wrote basically a whole nother book, um, during that process, which is very stressful. And then another publisher, which was great. Uh, I, I just decided to go with, with Broadleaf. And I love that they kind of live in that, um, intersection between spiritual writings that are open to a broader audience. And I really enjoyed my editor's vibe and um, her reputation with, with writers like me. So it's been a, it's been a really good fit. Yeah. I love that. Really great story full of rejections, like some big rejections, some smaller rejections. Um, but yeah, I mean, you got there in the end, your story has a happy ending Basically, I, I think a lot of our listeners probably are at the beginning of that story or maybe right in the middle of a rejection. Um, you know, what, um, what did you basically learn along the way about those rejections? You know, the, the ones that came before you finally got your yes? Did you always believe you would get your yes? Did those rejections like take you out of the game? Like, was there a little like psych up process that you used to like try again? You know, like what what did that feel like? How did that sort of, how did those rejections like affect the journey and potentially even the eventual like positive outcome that you got? Yeah, well, I think that the, my agent protected me a lot, I think, looking back. Like, I think, and we, and we didn't officially set a boundary, but I think we, it, we found a good one of like, when he hears back from someone that it's a no, I'm, you know, I often wondered like, are you on those emails? Are you CC'd? Like, no, you're not. And so you don't, you, the agent controls when you find out that these people said no, and he'll, he'll, he would forward me emails only if they were going to be something useful. And so I recommend like, if you can have a filter there, someone between you and the rejections to, and, and I've already, I'm already prepared, like not to read my Amazon reviews when my book comes out, like yeah. and people might disagree with that mentality, but I just, I know that the kind of rejections that I'm, I'm going to grow from um, are going to be something that my friends will help me see. Like I already have a friend designated to read the Amazon reviews and give me the ones that she believes I need to, yeah. to, to see. 
But I wanted to say one, one other rejection that I think encapsulates something important about the writing life is that I, I really wanted to go with this one publisher. I had this dream publisher in mind. They published books of, you know, one of my biggest comps. Uh, and I was like, this is who I want to go with this editor at this publisher, which set, setting yourself up for failure, by the way. <laughs> um, so, and another thing, I mean, that's, he, that editor is one of my agent's friends. And I was like, I'm a shoe in, you know, it's going to be great. And so we finally heard back from him and he, he said, um, he said, we're going to pass and here's why. And he wrote like a 500, 600 word explanation of why they passed with examples of books that do XYZ better. And, you know, and, and I can even tell you he passed because he believed that the, the transformation of the book needs to be right in the title at the front, like what, you know, make art find joy. That's what he wanted my book to be. And that is really true. That's really good advice. And in the end, that's where we ended up. Um, but he wrote this really long email. And then at the end, he said, you know, I'm realizing that I am going to pass. But as I write to, to you and Meredith, I'm, I think that I'm interested in this work she's doing. And so if she has a clearer book idea or if she has a bigger platform, be back in touch and I can take a look again. And to me, that is like the ultimate rejection of somebody, first of all, celebrating that they read my words, right? Then they and their team read the words they and they had enough um, kindness to take me through using their expertise about what I should do moving forward. And then they left the door cracked open just a little bit. Um, and so that for me was, I, I, I told my, I told Anne, my writing coach, this is the best rejection ever. Like I'm thrilled by this. I mean, I obviously wish they would say yes, but that is the best no I've ever gotten. And so learning to look at the no's, what are you learning from them? What can they offer you? And even enjoy the no's because that's way better than having no response, which by the way, is the lion's share of the emails you send. You get nothing back, not even that they have received it. Definitely. Yeah. I was actually just thinking that. And it makes me think Ariel, I was so we um listeners we are also ariel and i are also represented by don pape we can endorse and second everything about that meredith said about how wonderful he is and i actually remember ariel or you said it though of course we were in agreement because we talked about it before like we told don we want to see everything like forward it to us don't sugarcoat it we want to know if they think we're bad yeah. let us know <laughs> and i'm like now i'm wondering if he and he was like okay but now i'm actually wondering if he is because we haven't seen anything <laughs> that bad and i'm sure we know we've gotten plenty of no's of course like ariel and i in, in this journey have also experienced rejection so far um but yeah i love that idea of you know this is a privileged position and not everybody is in it, but it is worth thinking through, like, how can you to some degree insulate yourself from the stuff that really is going to hurt? Um, and thinking, <clears throat> Meredith, what you're saying about um, what you can learn, I want to know what your stance is on when you don't settle for a rejection. Like, I know it's not always in, you know, the ball isn't always in our court. You can't force somebody to acquire your book, right? But I, I have um, a, an agent friend who is, like what you said, you know, 
the lion's share of the of your submissions will probably just get no response and it probably has nothing to do with you it's like agents and editors are just so underwater these days and they don't have time but she's like but even if you get a no like never let that be the end of it someone answered your email that is a huge that is an open door like go through it you know not like don't pester them to death but like you know i don't know if you had to ask for that feedback but like if they say no like ask them why if they say no like say thank them and ask if you can follow up in two months you know like when do you just like i don't know in your journey did you ever have to think through like when to let it lie or when to like not take the rejection yeah i think that is a really good question and i you know i came into writing the publishing world with very little knowledge so i was like you know and in classical music we have our own traditions as to like what's appropriate quote quote unquote um about you know, if somebody never responds, when you try to get a, a lesson with a teacher you might want to study with and they don't respond, like, would it be rude to send them a text and somehow find their phone number? Like, yes, it would be like that. There's this, like this chain of respect thing. And I think with publishing, it's it, everybody's email accounts are just out of control, like you say. And, and sometimes it's a matter of being at the top of the, at, at top of the pile. And, you know, there's, there's tricks about, you know, respond Sunday night. So they'll see the thing at the top or really early Monday morning. Right. Um, but yeah, why not? Why not? And, you know, I think that first of all, readjust your timeline because, and I had to ask my writing coach, like, when can I respond? Like how many weeks does this person, if they don't say after four or six weeks, you can assume we've moved on. Some of them will say that, but when they don't, you know, can we write back? Can we not? When is appropriate? And I, I think like read everything they have written about what is appropriate for their communication style and what, you know, don't send them an email with an attachment, God forbid, um, listen to what they're saying and they want on their, on their website. And then all, you know, all bets are off and with everything else, like go for it. And I think, you know, when it's time to let sleeping dogs lie, as they say. Uh, and there's, this is what's so great about the publishing world. There's, there's another publisher. There's another agent. Like in classical music, there are only so many orchestras that you could be first chair oboe in, right? And, and so if you have the dream to do that, you're more likely to be in the NFL than you are to play principal oboe in an orchestra. And, and so how can we writers enjoy that process of being like, okay, if this isn't my person, then let's find someone it is. We can't, we only need one. And if none of them say yes, then, you know, save some money and invest in a hybrid model or a self-publishing model. And that's great too. I mean, the, the, there's so many different ways to get the book out there and, and you will find the partners, the right partners for you. I often kind of think about pitching like that almost as like gambling and, you know, like expert gamblers have like a walkaway point, right? Like they decide ahead of time, this is how much money I'm going to put into this and if at this point I don't make back X or I'm not, you know, winning or whatever the case may be, they know when to walk away. And obviously you can only take this analogy so far in the writing life, but I do often think about like, there is, you know, something to be said for kind of saying, okay, I'm going to pitch to a hundred people. And if a hundred people say no, then I've decided like, I'm not going to continue walking down that road. I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to look into hybrid or self-publishing or whatever and like be okay with that. And, and knowing like, all right, that's, 
it, it gives you peace ahead of time, I think, to be like, all right, I know what my limit is. I know where I'm going to draw the line. And then and then allowing yourself to stay there and allowing yourself to say, like, I did it. I fulfilled what I set out to do. I've done the best that I can do. And now I can feel good about going somewhere else and looking into something else. Absolutely. I like to, so there's this quote from Rachel Held Evans, most her, her, the book they published after she died. And apparently above her writing desk, she had a post that said, uh, tough skin, tender heart. Mm. And so that for me is a great litmus test of how I'm doing. Am I able to keep a tender heart and a tough skin in the face of the ups and downs? And you know, that that's as my, my writing coach says, like, congratulations, if you've been rejected, congratulations, because you're doing the work of being a writer and that is worth celebrating. Even if some one person says no and never let the, the rejections make your heart hard because it'll show up in your writing and you'll get burnt out. And so do the, do the work you need to do to, to have a tough skin and a tender heart. I love that. Liz, do you remember when we got our first rejection? I was like, this is so exciting. We're real writers now. <laughs> I think we were at the Hope Writers Conference together and I was like, oh my gosh, we're doing it. This is real now. <laughs> yeah. And Don then, was like, I'm sorry. Don't worry. Right. It's going to be okay. And I was like, oh no, this is great. <laughs> yes. I do remember that. But then do you remember like five rejections later when we were like, this isn't so fun anymore. Right. <laughs> okay, we got it. Now let's right. get a yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So Meredith, how do you like, how would you recommend kind of balancing hope and being realistic? Because I think, you know, we've kind of talked around the, uh, the idea of like expectations. And a lot of it is you have to kind of go into the process expecting that you'll get a lot of rejections. And through that, especially after you start to receive, you know, kind of a lot of them, you're like, all right, you know, even if you've already set your like walkaway point, you're not there yet, but you know that you're getting closer. The hope kind of starts to fade. How mm -hmm. do you maintain that hope while also still like being realistic, you know? Yeah, I think that is a really personal journey that we each have to be on. And it's a kind of about, that's kind of how we grow up as creators is to learn to manage that. And I reassure myself that as long as I enjoy the process more than the product, then that still is that if I'm enjoying the writing and the process of publishing, then the product of the book, if it's there or not, it becomes, it becomes something that's great, but it's not the thing that feeds me creatively. And so I think that's how I enjoy, that's how I manage the difference between hope and realism is, is having really returning every morning bright and early because I have children and I have to wake up before them returning bright and early to the computer, or to the journal, into the music stand with, with a joy for the fundamental devotion that is creativity and that is writing and that is music. And I, you know, it's really easy to lose your joy of that in this business and to get caught up in the marketability all of, of all of it and the market speak, it's exhausting. And so really working to feed my artist, my inner artist, to pursue my inner artist and to love them with, uh, with the things they need, uh, that helps me when I'm losing hope. Something that you actually said to me when we started 
or when Don started sending our proposal out to publishers, I remember I reached out to you on Voxer and I was like, Meredith, what advice do you have for me? Because I was feeling very, you know, impostery and like, oh my gosh, are we doing the right thing? Is this going to work out? What if it doesn't work out? I'm a total fraud, all of the things. <laughs> and you said to me, and it was super helpful and it stuck with me. Uh, you said, you have to remember that your worth is not on the line. That's not what's being evaluated here. It's just this book idea. It's not even, it's not even like your writing, you know, experience or your, your writing talent or anything like that. Not, none of that is on the line. The only thing that's on the line is this individual book idea and that's all. And that yep. was so helpful. Good. I'm glad. I, uh, I totally believe that. And I think that when we equate our work with our worth, then we can't have a tender heart anymore because we, we, we eventually lose the spark because we didn't believe wholeheartedly that we already belonged and we don't take risks. We're not as vulnerable and we don't have as much courage because those two things are related as Brene Brown has taught us. <laughs> and so, yeah, working to cultivate a sense of worthiness outside of rejections or, you know, confirmations is really, really important for the creative. That's awesome. I love that. And Ariel, I love your idea of um, just either setting a rejection goal or setting some kind of thing that makes it not about the rejection almost. Like I tell people a lot of times, like this might've come up in our, in our episode with Brittany, since she and I talked about this a, a decent amount when like newbie writers come to me and want to work on a proposal or have an idea. I always say like, give it two years. It probably won't take that long. <clears throat> but I just have this deep belief that if somebody is embodies the hungry author, you know, definition of mentality, right? They're willing to do the work. They're willing to take feedback and they don't give up. I have never, ever seen anyone not succeed. And by succeed, I mean, get a book deal, get an agent, publish their book, whatever their original goal was. If they gave it two years of solid effort, like it just, you know, you, you can't come to me and complain about not succeeding until you've been at it for two years or received 50 rejections, you know, something like that. Like it's about, yeah, racking up those numbers, like just being at it long enough, going, you know, trying again, trying somebody else. Like Meredith said, it, it just takes one person. And hopefully you've heard on this podcast episode and in plenty of others that we've done that like, Somebody came along, Meredith heard those hurtful words, you know, your book, I completely disagree with your entire premise and your book is disorganized. And it wasn't very long after that, that an ideal partner came along and said, this is amazing and ready. Let's go. You know, like it just is so everything in the arts or in, in writing is so subjective and so personal and not everybody is going to resonate with what you do. And that's okay. Um, you'll find somebody who does. You will. Well, and I was thinking like, I, I, one of the questions you were going to ask me was, you know, what advice do you have for people um, who are, who are like maybe sitting, waiting and like how to know when, and you know, what, what advice do you have for people who are on the brink of a lot of rejection? And what I wanted to say to that was two things. Um, one was the, this author, uh, Deepa Maturi, 
is a writer who wrote about, I can share the link of this blog that really, it really moved me. She talked about how every time she got rejected, she put um, one of those little fake pearls and diamonds into a bowl at the top of her writing desk. And so she created this ritual of like, you know, the pressure of being a writer is creating something beautiful in me. And every time she got rejected, she put one of the, the little pearls or fake jewels in the, in the thing above her desk. And, and I love that idea of creating a ritual for you to process the rejection, to feel the grief in it. And that might be like lining your wall with rejection letters or, you know, creating some sort of art out of them. Absolutely. But whatever you do, really enjoy the moment of the way that you're growing and, and relish in this premise that the pressure we are under does build something beautiful in us if we allow it to. So create a ritual. That's the first thing I wanted to say. And the second thing is um, as a creativity coach, I work with people helping them name what matters, but also to name what's true for them, what they believe to be true, and then using the truths they they believe to coach themselves. And so in my book, I have at the end of every chapter, five things that are true. And three of the, uh, the truths that for me help me overcome rejection are, it is unsustainable to take everything personally. Second one is, Rejection means you are doing the work of being a writer, which is what my my writing coach, Ann Croker, said. And lastly, my personal favorite, nothing that is yours can be missed. And I believe I believe that, that if, if a writer, a publisher, an agent says no, then they weren't for you. Mm-hmm. And so there's someone out there that is. And, you know, if you can't find an agent, then maybe, you know, be your own agent, be your own advocate for your work that whatever is for you cannot be missed and you will find it if you keep working. So those are three of my truths that help me coach myself through the rejections. And so feel free to borrow mine, but write your own. What do you believe to be true about your worthiness, about your creative process? So, and preach them to yourself, like you're, like you're putting some Neosporin on the wound because (laughs) it'll help you heal. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. And that's where I was going next anyway. So that was perfect. <laughs> but I love that image of with every rejection doing some, you know, putting a little fake diamond or pearl or whatever in a bowl and just having that visual reminder for you that like, yeah, this is all making me better. It's all going to, you know, add up to something. And I think that's one of my truths. And I've said it before on this podcast and it, now I'm realizing it, it is part of the truth for me to encourage myself. And that is no wasted work. Like I really believe for myself that any work that I do is not wasted. I, I will learn something from it. I will somehow get better from it. And even like, you know, my admittedly terrible job that I did, you know, recording that video for that conference, like that's just one example of how, like it, it actually wasn't wasted because I learned something from it and I am taking with me that I'm not going to do that again. (laughs) There's always those lessons to be learned. And it's okay. Like some people are jerks and like, don't have to. And I just want to say like, let's be real. Like you don't have to learn from everything and it may be decades before you do. And so don't worry if you can't turn some internet trolls words to, to make you grow. Like it's okay. Like sometimes things are, people are rude and you just need to move on. And so, yes, learn from the things that are there for you to learn and let yourself 
leave the rest. Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach and Glennon's sister, their podcast, um, We Can Do the Hard Things, they have a really good episode um, a few months back now, I think, about rejection where Glennon talks specific. I mean, she's like, you know, an incredibly public and successfully published author. Um, and she talks about rejection and how to filter through. I feel like the the conversation of how to filter through the rejections and the feedback um, that you get is like an entire episode on its own. And so if you do want to like hear more about that, you should go back and or go find that episode where they talk about that. Okay, Meredith. So where can people connect with you? What's the best way? Well, like a good writer, I would love it if you would join my email list. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I have a three ways to love your inner artist. The download that you can get at artistsforjoy.org. There at the top, there's a little banner right on my website. So you can sign up to join my email list. I also have a weekly podcast that comes out on Fridays. That's called Artists for Joy. And the book is coming spring 2024. And it is called The Artist's Joy, A Guide to Getting Unstuck, Embracing Imperfection, and Loving Your Creative Life. I'm also on Instagram at Artists for Joy. So come find me you ever need a creativity coach, you need a partner to help you overcome rejection. I'm your girl. Yeah, I know. I tell people all the time because I I like to refer people to you and I tell them like Meredith is my unofficial coach because I I don't pay you, but I probably should. (laughs) (laughs) Like Meredith is the person that I go to when I'm having a bad creative day and I'm like, I need some help and encouragement. So Oh, good. Yeah. It's an honor to be that for you and uh, to, to have been here today. So thanks for having me, ladies. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for being part of the Hungry Authors community. If you like this episode, could you do us a huge favor? Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would so appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at Hungry Authors or HungryAuthors.com, our website, to get more information about our masterclasses and upcoming episodes. Remember that you have a story and a message worth publishing. And if you've got the hunger, you can make it happen.